Pastor Katie. Beautiful prayer for a beautiful day. We've been spending some time with the prophet Elijah in recent weeks, and we're going to do so again today and then for a couple more weeks. Today, we find ourselves in 1 Kings chapter 19, starting with the the second sentence in verse 9 and then going through verse 13. Hear now the word of the Lord. At that place, Elijah came to a cave. And he spent the night there. Then the word of the Lord came to him saying, what are you doing here, Elijah? He answered, I've been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the Israelites have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they are seeking my life to take it away. He said, go and stand out on the mountain before the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Now there was a great wind, so strong that it was splitting mountains and breaking rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a sound of sheer silence. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. Then there came a voice to him that said, What are you doing here, Elijah? This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, we ask that you would pass by once again. In Jesus' name, amen. What are you doing here, Elijah? This question is a bookend in our passage of Scripture today. What are you doing here, Elijah? It is a question that is asked at the beginning of our passage. It says, a word of the Lord came to Elijah and asked the question, what are you doing here? And then the Lord passes by and asks the question, what are you doing here? To help us comprehend how Elijah goes about answering the question, it would be helpful for us to consider how Elijah got to there, to the here that the Lord is asking him about. How did Elijah get here? You see, at this time, 
Ahab served as the king of Israel. It's the northern kingdom, Israel. You see, Israel and Judah had split. Probably not for the best, but it happened. And so Judah, the southern kingdom, Israel, the northern kingdom, Ahab rules the northern kingdom. Jezebel is the wife of Ahab. And together, Jezebel and Ahab, they have been promoting the worship of a false god named Baal. So uh, Elijah, being a good prophet, speaks out against the people of Israel, the northern kingdom, and says, this is bad. You should not be worshiping this false god. You should only worship the one true god. And so in calling out the people of Israel, he also calls out the prophets of Baal. These prophets are the uh, religious figures who, uh, upon Ahab and Jezebel's command, continue to try to spread this, this falsity that Baal is God. So Elijah calls out these 450 prophets. He says, okay, let's, let's have a contest. Let's have a contest. You call to your God, and I'll call to my God, and let's see which God answers. And so they get this, this offering, and they place it on an altar, and they say, let's see whose God can make it burn. Let, let's, let's see whose God shows up. And so the prophets of Baal, they have the honor. They go first. And so they, they cry out, and they beg, and they plead. For, for their God to answer them, to, to do this mighty deed of power so that, so that Elijah can be proven wrong and they be right. But nothing happens. Their so-called God does not show up. And so then Elijah, for dramatic effect, Elijah takes the, the offering and, and, and the altar and, and has everybody bring buckets of water and they just douse everything, soak it, just soak it. And then Elijah calls out to his God, the one true God. And wouldn't you know it, the Lord shows up through a rain of fire. And the fire, it, it consumes the offering, it consumes the altar. In fact, it even... Uh, scripture says it even goes so far to lick up the water that was in the trench. God showed up in a mighty way. Elijah is proven right. So what happens next? Elijah takes the 450 prophets of Baal and has them executed. So Ahab, the king, goes back and tells his wife Jezebel about what just transpired. And Jezebel doesn't take the news very well. So she sends word back to Elijah saying, what you just did to our prophets, we're going to do the same thing to you. And so Elijah has to flee. For his life, he has to go on the run. And that's how we get to this place. 
the here that God asks Elijah, why are you here? Elijah flees for his life, and he ends up on Oreb, that is, the mountain of God. And there on the mountain of God, Elijah hides out inside of a cave. It is here that we picked up with our passage today, when a word of the Lord comes to Elijah there on the mountain of God and asks him the question, what are you doing here? And Elijah responds, I'm here because I've been, I've been zealous for the Lord. I've been doing the Lord's work. I've been calling out the people of Israel because they've been worshiping false gods. They've been tearing down the Lord's altars. They've been killing the Lord's prophet, and I'm the only one left. And now they're out to take away my life. And the word of the Lord once again comes to Elijah and says, okay, go and stand at the entrance of the cave. And so Elijah goes and, and stands at the entrance of the cave. And while he's out there, there's this, this, this mighty wind. It's a strong wind. For those of you who have ever lived through a hurricane or a tornado or experienced straight line winds, you have at least some indication of, of what kind of wind this is. The wind is so powerful that it's, it's breaking apart mountains. It's, it's, it's raining rocks down from the mountain because the wind is that strong. But the Lord was not in the wind. And so then there's this, this earthquake and the foundations of the earth, they, they tremble. Everything shakes on the mountain. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. Next, there's this, this fire. It's this wild, you know, ravaging blaze, inferno. It's roaring. But the Lord was not in the fire. And this is peculiar, you see, because in, in each of these three mighty powerful things, the, the, the great wind, the earthquake, and the fire, God has already appeared, revealed God's self to people in the scriptures through strong winds, earthquakes, and fires up to this point. There was already a precedent established that God would pass by in such a way. But not this time. Not this time. This time, God reveals God's self through what happens after the fire. And what happens after the fire is a sound. A sound of sheer silence. Sheer silence. You know, that type of silence is something that most of us, we seldom experience it. But when Elijah experiences it, he experiences the real presence of God in it. It is in it, in the sound of silence. 
in the sound of sheer silence that Elijah experiences the real presence of God. And it is the voice of God who breaks the sound of silence with a whisper and a question. What are you doing here? It's a profound moment. It's a profound moment anytime that God is experienced. But this profound moment is, is one that is born out of the silence. You know, I've experienced the sound of sheer silence a few times in life. Two of the most recent times were actually as a result of hurricanes. Hurricane Matthew followed uh, by Hurricane Florence. They, they both brought a lot of devastation to our community and to a lot of the communities that surrounded us. Um, they both caused us a, a, lot, of, a lot of problems. Uh, Matthew especially because uh, Matthew washed out each and every road that, le that led into our town. So we quite literally were living on an island. Living on an island might sound kind of appealing to you, uh, but let me assure you that if you are living on an island and your electricity is out and the linemen need to drive on roads that are no longer there to come and restore your electricity, island life is not that great. <laughs> so we were without electricity for seven or eight days with, with Hurricane Matthew. And during the day, you could hear, you could hear a lot of sounds. You especially heard the sound of, of chainsaws, a lot of chainsaws. You would hear neighbors talking to neighbors. But when the sun would set, let me tell you, it was eerie. Sheer silence. You have no idea how loud a light bulb is. until you experience that type of silence. It was so foreign, so eerie, hauntingly beautiful. You know, when Florence came through a couple few years later, we were still able to experience a little bit of silence. We were without power again for multiple days, but not as much silence as with Matthew. You know why? Because after Matthew, everybody ran out, and they all bought gas generators. The early evening hours, what used to be silence previously in such an event was now replaced by the rhythmic hum of several generators all running at the same time. But if you stayed up long enough, if you, if you stayed up long enough to, to where people shut off the generators and went to bed, you could, you could still hear that silence. Pure, sheer silence. And we are just so uncomfortable with it. So uncomfortable with it. It's so foreign to us. 
We don't know what to make of it because of its foreignness. So usually, the only time that we experience silence is when it is forced upon us. The only way we experience sheer silence is for it to be forced upon us, and then we have to choose whether or not we let the silence be or if we break into it. Now, most of us as modern people, we hurry just as fast as we can to break into the silence because it makes us so uncomfortable. We use our voices or we fidget. We are a fidgety people. We, we use our voices or we fidget or we turn on the gas generator so we don't have to deal with the awkwardness that is silence. And that's really a shame. Because in our efforts to, to avoid silence, we are denying ourselves of some opportunities to encounter the presence of God. We are robbing ourselves of potential profound encounters with the divine by avoiding the gift that is silence. The great mystic Howard Thurman once said that silence is a doorway to God. What does that mean for us who find ourselves living in the noisiest world on record? Silence is a doorway to God and we should embrace it. And we must intentionally create spaces for it because the constant hum of our everyday life always, always, always seeks to drown out the silence. So we got to create spaces to embrace the silence and to wait for God there. Another mystic, Barbara Brown Taylor, goes so far to suggest that uh, we should all take the time to appreciate the silence And the only way that we're probably going to be able to do so is if we go to the breaker box and we cut the power. She suggests that we do it. And then she goes so far to say, if you do not believe that you have the discipline to leave it off for a sufficient amount of time, you need to find somebody you trust who has a little bit of electrical knowledge and have them cut the wires. I'm of the mind that she's right. And that the cost of having to repair your electrical work at home would be well offset through the time with which you spent with God in the quiet. If silence is indeed a doorway to God, then we should seek it far more than what we do. If silence is a doorway to God, we should seek it more than we seek the noise. If silence is a doorway to God, then in seeking silence, 
we seek God. I want to ask you a question now. What are you doing here? 